understand. I don't hate her. I hate what she's become. I hate the illness. Wouldn't it be better if you put her someplace? You mean an institution? A madhouse? People always call a madhouse someplace, don't they? Put her in someplace. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it to sound uncaring. What do you know about caring? Have you ever seen the inside of one of those places? The laughing and the tears. And the cruel eyes studying you. My mother there. But she's harmless. She's as harmless as one of those stuffed birds. I am sorry. I, I only felt... It seems she's hurting you. I meant well. People always mean well. They cluck their thick tongues and shake their heads and suggest oh so very delicately. Of course, I've suggested it myself. But I hate to even think about it. She needs me. It's not as if she were a, a maniac, a raving thing. She just goes a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes. Haven't you? trilogy in theory my name is webb and this is my co-host mike and we start a new trilogy here in june with the 1960 classic psycho and right off the bat before i hit record i mentioned that what do we have how dare we discuss psycho what the hell are we going to talk about that hasn't been talked about and then i think within a couple moments, we started talking Psycho as if it was just another episode. <laughs> um, and as you said, you put Janet Lee in a bra and on the poster, and boom, you're going to sell tickets. It, it was wild to me uh, to read that the studio had such little faith in the material, they let Hitchcock take 60% of the uh, the gross profits. Yep. And he walked away with $15 million. Uh, on a, I guess on a much smaller scale, that is the uh, George Lucas. Uh, okay, you're not going to pay me, but I can retain the uh, the toy action figure rights uh, to Star Wars. Yeah, uh, crazy like a fox, as I believe Homer Simpson once said. <laughs> so, uh, Psycho, 
my memory of it, because I used to be obsessed with this movie when I was a kid, uh, and I have not one but two copies of the making of Psycho, uh, which if you watch like the uh, on the disc, there's I don't know how you watched it this time, Webb. I actually put in a disc, so wow. I felt like I was yeah all those criterions that I hype up on the show, and then I'm like yeah I watch my iTunes copy, it's fine. Uh, this time uh, I did break out the Blu-ray, but it felt uh, it felt unnecessary to me. I'm sure I've watched the making of before, but it's just like a slightly slimmed down version of that book. Like they just kind of hit, hit the same beats. But what I remembered the most from it was that Hitchcock himself. I don't think he saw this as lesser material. I mean, I, I do think he there was an attempt to elevate, uh, like sort of the. Uh, airport paperback read which i also think that's how hitchcock like found this material was just the, the cover of it like he was flying somewhere and he used this tv crew from alfred hitchcock presents so like the his regulars that were there for uh vertigo north by northwest it's like you you can sit this one out this is this wow. is more for yeah so even even hitch maybe or or it was just uh him just adding a little bit of a degree of difficulty where he's like, Hey, we're going to play this one a little more fast and loose, which uh, seems to be the antithesis to how it's perceived now with the shower sequence, something to be studied and documentaries made about the, the craftsmanship that went into this. But yeah, at the time uh, let's bring on the guys from TV and make this like a really extended episode of Alfred Hitchcock presents. Well, that would have been a good way to keep cost down uh, because the studio, <laughs> They were so offended by the material, they they just didn't want to do it at all. And so Hitchcock ultimately decided to uh, forego his normal uh, 250k salary. I guess he brought in these TV guys, and what they came away with is something that's going to be remembered and watched forever. And I remember I watched this film with my wife, I, I would say a couple years ago, and I was so excited because... It's Psycho, and I'm introducing Psycho to somebody new. But the trouble is, the damn thing has been parodied and copied, mm. and just mm -hmm. and, and things are just so much more extreme now in in the uh, horror and and I guess slasher genre. Which I I don't know. I want to. I guess we're giving Psycho and Peeping Tom and Halloween credit for creating the slasher genre, but it's just so different now. My wife's reaction to it was of like, I knew it. <laughs> I was like, God damn it, it's not, what, <laughs> it's not what the movie's about. I mean, yes, it is about that, but uh, there's so much more going on. And so, boy, I feel like you have to grab uh, kids at, or at an early age and sit them down for Psycho uh, before all of the uh, before they get spoiled, before all the impurities like Sauce 5 shows up in their lives. Like, I, I want them to watch this while they have an opportunity to appreciate the film before uh, it gets sullied by uh, other uh, poor imitations. There is something to that because I experienced this uh, as a kid. It was one of the, the movies that got me into movies. And so, yeah, I had not yet, you know, I had not seen, uh, I don't know, Halloween, which I don't know if Halloween holds up now to the kids. Cause that, that film is going on what? 40 years old, Ooh, 40 yeah. plus. That sounds crazy to me to, to put it that way. But you mentioned peeping Tom and I had never seen that. And we kicked around doing uh, that film for a possible trilogy. 
and it was on the Criterion channel. And I think I got about 15 minutes in and I just found myself zoning out. (laughs) 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 And so it, it goes to your point of now, like as a grown man, having seen just so many movies, like if I was tracking my letterbox from my teenage years now, it would it would probably be shameful as far as the amount of hours I could count sitting in front of a screen, except to the newer generation. They would already have beaten me with, I don't know, whatever the fuck they're doing. Candy Crush. Is that what the kids are doing now? <laughs> True. <laughs> well, I play Simon's Cat Storytime on Apple Arcade, but that's because I'm a... <laughs> Because I'm a total fucking hipster. <laughs> um, my current self, you're absolutely right. Like last night, the wife and I sat down. My wife is very much like, I just want to be entertained. I think as much as she enjoys the intellectual thriller, I guess, as something that really makes her think, she's more, as long as it's entertaining, she doesn't mind if they're they're doing a whole lot of uh, extra work with the script and camera work and all that. Every now and then she does catch on. She's like, oh my gosh, this has been a long, continuous shot and little things like that. And I am and I feel very proud as somebody who's imparting these <laughs> gifts. And so last night, uh, wife and I watched Now You See Me, the extended version. I'd never even seen this film, but it was like... Wait, is this a the Eisenberg magician heist thing? Yeah. And boy... We <laughs> same, were... same as Psycho, Peeping Tom, all of them like, <laughs> <Yeah>. together. <laughs> We were super entertained, and, and again, my wife's reaction at the end, I knew it. <laughs> like, damn it. <laughs> can't can't find one film that isn't original that's going to shock people. So how do you think this is meant to play today without the shock factor? Because even as a kid, I knew the shower sequence. I didn't know what happened in the shower sequence. I just knew that it was infamous for a shower scene of some sort, which... As a young man, I would say that I, I saw this uh, pre-teen, so I wasn't uh, a complete horn dog yet, so I wasn't expecting nudity. But I also had in my head, I'm like, well, this is an old movie. Why is there anything happening in a shower? There was still that. Like, what could they be doing? Uh, no one in black and white ever was naked. That never happened. Like, not possible. But it still, it still kind of throws me. And I, I don't know if I'm just relying on that initial experience that there is such an emphasis on Marion in this this movie i i know we scream would probably be another pop culture touchstone which uh, you know now scream is i guess a classic of of sorts uh drew barrymore spoiler alert for scream i've i've said this before on a podcast and my co-host said hey don't spoil it and i'm like we're talking about the opening sequence of scream like (laughs) yeah (laughs) we're 10 minutes into a movie that's 20 years old Drew Barrymore, unfortunately, perishes uh, as the you know the the first kill in Scream, and she was at the time the biggest star in that franchise, and people got all sort of excited about it. That was like a marketing hook was that they 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 killed off the the face, the one that's prominently on the poster. <laughs> the main difference between Scream and Psycho is that she gets ten minutes of screen time, and there's nothing about her personal life other than she's dating a jock who will beat up this creep on the phone. Marion has like a full arc and yeah. a life in the first, you know, half hour of this movie. And so it does. I, I would think that little twist, if you want to call it that, would remain. I think people now with current eyes would find it striking that we spend, we invest so much in Janet Lee's character. Drew Barrymore, I mean, she it's a great scene. Don't get me wrong. There's not even the attempt <laughs> to figure out who she was as a, as a person, <laughs> other than she really likes popcorn. She's adamant about having her damn popcorn for the, the movie night. But did your wife, I mean, did she 
have it did that hit hard like when you watched this a couple years ago did she did she care at all about this beautiful woman and a lovely brazier like i did as a preteen becoming a man <laughs> i i did too and, and this time around i i really focus on the brazier uh and this, this is the first time that it stuck out to me that before crime she's just still kind of pure and has the white brazier and after she steals the money is on the way she's wearing a black brazier it really stuck out to me this time around there's the um, the auteur theory uh hitchcock he knows symbolism especially when it comes to tits he knows, <laughs> he knows what he's doing <laughs> Uh, no, I don't think my wife ever really mentioned that aspect, even though I, I also found it very striking that we completely get rid of our poster, Starlet. It's the only one them. we should care about. Yes. That one. We don't know. We know nothing. Fuck all about this dork that runs this hotel. And it's like, now you're going to leave me with the, the nerd? How could you, Hitch? We were having fun. Exactly. And you know what? Eli Roth actually did the same thing in Hostel. Because I don't know if you've seen it or how long it's been. Well, the main character also gets killed about 30, 40 minutes in, and you're left with his jackass friend who's a total dick uh, for the rest of the film. I think it's, oh gosh, something Hernandez. I can't remember uh, the actor's name, but he does a really great job from that point on because you really have to empathize as a human being. Like, this guy has been a total jerk the entire film, but all of a sudden he's stuck in this horrible situation, and you have to find a way to empathize with him. And I think it... This is... <laughs> I'm looking at the uh, cast list for Hostel, because I'm like, I'm not familiar. Uh-huh. Uh, is the the main character Derek Richardson playing Josh? That's He's just the second one under Jay Hernandez as Paxton. Yeah. But even if we go all the way down, I, I don't know any of these these people. Yes, I believe that is him. <laughs> oh, my God. He played Harry in Dumb and Dumberer, the prequel. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he's but... completely the same level as Janet Leigh. <laughs> When I watched Hostel, I was very much reminded of that fact. And I was like, all right, Eli Roth pulling from, you know, uh, good... Oh, uh, what is it? I can't remember who it uh, who said it, but it's like, if you know, if you're going to steal, you got to steal from the best. And so I think he did a great job there. Going back to your point about let's go past the twist and let's go past the fact that our main character dies halfway through, what are we looking for? This time around, and I've noticed this before, of course, but what stuck out to me is the camera work is absolutely stupendous, you know? Anytime that he's focusing on the money, anytime that... Any red herring, really, the entire first act. It's really great what you are told to focus on and what the film is really about. Uh, You've got Bernard Herrmann's score, which, you know, we could talk about all day, and a lot of this film is action, and uh, watching the main characters do mundane things, like uh, Janet Lee when she's getting ready for uh, the trip, and uh, while she is getting ready to go back, uh, having those discussions with Anthony Perkins, and then even him, after uh, the first kill of the film, as he's cleaning up the crime scene, while it is very horrific, it's still zero dialogue. And so you're just forcing the viewers to 
watch action that could be it's ultimately mundane you just see some he's doing cleaning and so herman's score is there to keep everything so incredibly tense marion driving uh, you know this has been talked about quite a bit and i don't know why more films don't do this it's a it's a really great trope where he's imagining the different conversations that could be happening and they range from everywhere between she's frightened that she's going to get caught to she's titillated that she has tricked this uh, texas uh, uh this hot shot upstanding citizen just an upstanding texan we have here yeah. not a creep at all <laughs> nothing <laughs> remotely creepy about him so there is plenty to enjoy uh, outside of just uh the the b-level kicks of oh my god she's uh this like semi-transvestite murderer and and uh, you've got your the hook of that main character being killed off halfway through there's much more going on it, it is a classic for a reason i i hope that younger audiences ultimately find that enjoy the twists and the turns but also then grow to appreciate the filmmaking aspect of it so i i i can't imagine this film's ever going to uh, fade away from relevance i think it'll always be a classic and and even if you're not shocked by any of it the craft will always be there to hook you and, and at the very least to teach you about what modern films should be doing i'm sure your wife loves to hear that on movie night like you're gonna learn something tonight. <laughs> we're gonna educate you <laughs> i know right down time <laughs> <laughs> like what you said about uh the mundane uh aspects of it. I, I guess to me that, that strikes a chord because the horror films that i tend to enjoy and i do enjoy psycho it's i, I think there's enough uh you know this is a pop song um I, I don't think we're really getting into the psyche of norman bates here nor do i want to uh but one i was thinking of from i think 89 88 somewhere in the late 80s the uh, the vanishing um, that one is about how kind of dull and monotonous uh, the sort of making of a killer is. Just going through the motions of uh, perfecting um, the, the the crime. Uh, there's a little bit of I, I can see why this was seen as at the time a lesser Hitchcock because it's not like he's above dealing with these particular sins. Uh, rope is one where we come in right after the perfect crime and then the two participants in this this deed uh spend the rest of the film sort of patting themselves on the back and talking around like what they just did and how they pulled it off how they're going to pull it off how they're going to uh make it more uh, titillating another word you're using about uh, marrying here for themselves by seeing how close they can bring people in to participate in this murder uh without getting caught uh a dinner party which is you know lovely I also think that post like shower scene, having it be boring bathroom cleanup time, it gives the audience a, a chance 
to sort of sit back and wonder where we're going to go next. It would be very yeah. jarring if you killed her and then immediately were, you know, uh, doing some other mundane activity with Norman, like changing the sheets, <laughs> going to another room where there's been no murder, presumably no murder that we, we know of, but it invites you in to participate uh, in the, the cover up. Like we didn't necessarily at the time sign up for this to be a film about uh, a woman being killed uh, by a character we just met uh, five minutes ago and we spent a half hour with her, but it's just through that, the sort of quiet cleanup time with him, somehow we're, we're a participant in this cover up and in this murder. He's tricked us. He's, he's gotten us on Norman's side, or at least from his perspective, uh, where it's like, well, I guess I'm riding with this dude who's got a, a crazy old lady up there at the house. And, I hope nothing bad happens to him. I I do think that's the one thing that for modern audiences, it doesn't really matter. Even if you know that there's something off about Norman, uh, which I think is telegraphed pretty clearly now, I don't think it matters so much. I still think it's, it's going to be interesting uh, going forward. Even if you know, okay, ultimately he's, he's the, the, the reason all this is happening. Not, not mom. This is, you know, we want to blame the parents as usual sitcom style, but no, <laughs> this is, this is all him. There is one aspect. I hate to say anything blasphemous about such a classic, but boy, those last five minutes where everything is over-explained, I really could do without. I, I really could. I think maybe a montage of the cops pulling the, the car out of the the creek and all the other... There's a lot that could happen in those last five minutes, and I just feel like they're explaining the entire movie to me. So I never really liked the last uh, bit, and this time was no exception. I felt like the movie was over uh, before then. How do you feel about the explanation? Well, from a practical standpoint, 1960, it's to uh, get their, their feeble little minds around uh, what has just transpired, which you know now <clears throat> we would just have Clarice Starling kind of explaining it to us along the way you wouldn't have you know clearly wouldn't have to bring in an expert just for his this theater actor come in and do a bit to explain to me the hero what just what just transpired i i also think it goes back to that that sort of handoff is very successful post shower scene where you become immediately invested uh without too much in the way of consent really uh to follow norman around that there's not a handoff after, you know, the Lillian Crane, the sister, not as interesting. You know, it's just there's as a means to to an end to uh, to figure out what what's happened and to get us back to the hotel to have more shenanigans with Norman and mother. I think that's because you want to stay with Anthony Perkins. I, I think that's part of it. Part. I mean, obviously, now they wouldn't have the need or feel the audiences need to be coached as much as they are or there's more clever about that bit of exposition um, but I think from your perspective it's just that I don't think you have any issue when we go back to Norman and his cell by himself like as mother fully like having a conversation about himself I think that stuff still holds up it's just, I, so to me it reads as you just want to get back to the more interesting guy at that point and have him finish this out with his uh, views on insect life you know that he's, he's <laughs> He's a peaceful dude. Not going to swat that fly. You know, uh, the character that I immediately fell in love with uh, immediately after the shocking shower scene 
was the private eye arbogast uh martin balsam i think he's a great actor uh you see him in little things uh, i love seeing him in, in 12 angry men so i was very invested in his performance and i wanted him to get to the bottom of it because i loved uh, marion so much in that first 30 minutes she had a wonderful little arc i wanted her to succeed but now i want vengeance i, I want uh, the, the this horrible woman to get her comeuppance and you know, of course, a Hitchcock pulls a rug from under me again. Is like, oh, you like this character? Well, how about this? And I think, as much as the shower scene is great, uh, the Arbogast death scene is pretty fantastic. A almost a little more unnerving to me than the shower scene, uh, especially the way that his fall is shot from on top of the stairs. So, are you positing that the the people that die are the ones we care about? And so, if Sam Loomis. Stick in the mud, or Lila Crane, uh, the you know the black sheep uh, sister. I guess actually Marion's the black sheep, but you know for terms of entertainment value, Lila is the black sheep. Are you positing that we can't kill them off because no one would give a shit? <laughs> no one would care. <laughs> I think so. And this film has what a uh, body count of two, if you don't include um, Mrs. Bates. I feel bad that Psycho gets the, uh, well, it's the first slasher. I mean, Peeping Tom came out, I think, a few months beforehand. But still, it's like, uh, I, I, <laughs> slasher is such a BS genre, uh, sub-genre of, of horror. Um, I feel bad that uh, you have Psycho as its beginning. Uh, two things that I do want to mention. I know we've talked about the Psycho sequels briefly. Do you feel like any of them are worth mentioning or worth watching? Uh, of the ones that you've seen, uh, I mean, I enjoyed, like, I enjoyed one of them as a kid, which I think was what uh, it probably is not watchable now. Is it uh, Psycho Four, where it's like Norman as a kid and his like fucked up mom? Uh, I believe so. Yes, probably doesn't hold up. I mean, I don't really see a need for um, <laughs> Norman's out of prison and he's running a motel again. Like, <laughs> shenanigans exactly ensue. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I don't think there's any need to uh, double back to that. And there's a, a certain cynicism to them that I believe they didn't get made until like almost immediately after Hitchcock's passing. They're like, mm. all right, <laughs> the king is dead. We can play with his toys now. <laughs> Ruin his legacy. Uh, I don't, obviously, that's not happened because I think if most people think of Psycho now, they would probably go to either the 98 just remake with Gus Van Sant uh, or Bates Motel. I, I actually was... When Base Motel started, what, a decade ago, I thought, well, that's stupid. But it's probably, honestly, a better version. I didn't watch all of it, but I think I watched, like, the first couple of seasons. Probably better, like, if you're going to have Norman to just go to the childhood and go to his, you know, developing relationship with his mom and all of his particular hangups. Uh, that was not bad. So, yeah, if you want more Psycho probably Bates Motel. I, for some reason, you've been on a weird kick with the, the actual theatrical sequels, so you can speak more to that. I've not seen them since I was probably 11 or 12. I would say Psycho 2 is worth a watch just because I was just morbidly curious. I was like, why would you make this? And how would you make this? And the fact that Tom Holland uh, wrote the script for it is what really kind of made me commit because he... Uh, wrote and directed the first Child's Play film, which I love. And he's got a couple things in his uh, filmography that I'm not offended by. So I immediately wanted to watch Psycho 2, and I would say that it's... Not offended by. 
I'm like, wait a minute, isn't the the guy who wrote and directed Fright Night like one of the greatest horror films of all time? And you're saying not offended by? I didn't like Fright Night at all. Mm -hmm. Who are you to? But you want to spouse to our listeners? Like, let me take you through Psycho Two, though. That's worth five minutes of your time listening. But Fright Night, dismiss it out of hand. You also get to see Meg Tilly in a really, really wonderful role. Uh, so I, I would say Psycho 2 worth watching. <laughs> Psycho 3 is dog shit. You know what you get to see in Fright Night? Chris Sarandon shirtless. <laughs> okay. Loving all the ladies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Teaching, Trying to teach his next door neighbor a thing or two about being a man, and that kid just won't <laughs> listen. Punk kid. Um, lastly, I have not seen the 98 remake. Have you? I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. I, I like it. Whoa. Um, I like it in a uh, concept, uh, you know, fumbles a little bit on execution, but, um, we, we just did an episode on my other podcast, off screen death, uh, which in, in theory was supposed to be about psycho 1960, but my co-host Dave had not seen the 98 version. So he spent pretty much the better part of that hour just asking me questions like, why? <laughs> like, why do you like this? <laughs> so if you want, I guess, like an in-depth examination of that, we talk about Psycho 1960 for about two minutes and then the other 58 or Psycho 98. So I'm sure that pissed people off. <laughs> to see that. Might as well just have retitled it. As a huge like Psycho fan, I, I just really liked it being brought back into uh, the spotlight. Uh, for a little bit. I remember when it came out in 98, none of my friends had seen the 1960 Psycho. They didn't know anything about it, really. And so, I I mean, you know, growing up in a small town in Kentucky, you couldn't rent Psycho. Like, you couldn't rent pretty much anything that predated, like, 1978. You know, that's, I mean, anything. So, it was more difficult. And even the the, the, the much celebrated on the show Psycho sequels by my co-host Webb here. I saw those <laughs> on TV. It was like a psycho marathon. Like that that was how back in the day you had access to such things as you just happened upon it. I, I'm still kind of a fan. I mean, I, unfortunately it didn't succeed at all and it's like uh, seen as a disaster. But I like the idea of a restaging for sure. Like uh, modern filmmakers with a modern cast. You know, if I lived in a... Uh, bigger city, certainly in like New York, I would be exposed to this all the time. I would see great actors uh, doing Death of a Salesman or something, but uh, for some reason that has not connected in film. I, I guess, you know, if you're doing a, a remake, it has to be like a, a reimagining of some sort. And I kind of like the attempt at like, no, let's just play it straight. We just have new actors and it's in color. And yeah, I, I revisit that one uh, more than I care to admit. But I do admit it for a full hour on my other show, Off Screen Death. I go, <laughs> I go all in on it. Well, now I immediately want to listen to that conversation. But you tell me, do I watch the '98 Psycho prior to listening to you gush about it, or am I going in uh, and and putting myself into Dave's shoes? What do you recommend? I feel like I can't win in this scenario because if <laughs> I say definitely watch it. And then you hate your time with it. You're going to come into that podcast uh, and you're going to think that I'm just full of shit for a full hour. Uh, but if you listen to me and I, you know, without sight unseen and I, I get you to watch this thing, then you're just going to hate me later. Like, I, I don't <laughs> I'm, I'm saying this is like a Hail Mary uh, play that somehow you come out of this saying, you know what? Gus Van Sant, not too bad. Not too bad. Right there with Hitchcock. Yeah, I can see it. 
Uh, I, I'm a freak that way. I just, I just love Psycho is like a top five all time movie for me, and I just like adore being in that world. So yeah, I'll, I'll take it, even with Vince Vaughn and Anne Heche, uh who I, if you listen to that show, I defend vigorously. Yeah, I really put myself out there for, for the podcast, you know. So check it out if you have the time. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that goes for the podcast and the 98 version. Both.